Aren't you glad we have a great and faithful God? Jesus, to whom we can turn to when things are hard or we need peace, whatever it may be, I'm so thankful for His love and His grace to me. Take your Bibles if you would. Let's turn them to the text for this morning's message. We'll be returning to the book of Romans. Um, We're just going to read one verse, but nonetheless, let's stand together as we read the text. We stand in honor of God's Word and reverence for it. Romans chapter 14 is where we'll be preaching from this morning. Romans chapter 14 and verse 1. Paul writing here to the church at Rome begins a a very unique passage of Scripture, and we'll dive into that this morning. Romans chapter 14 and verse 1 says, Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. Let's bow our heads. Father, we come before you, and our hearts are thankful for your grace and your mercy. Lord, please be with us in this time of preaching that you would remove distractions, open our eyes, our ears, our hearts to what your Spirit has for us and do the work in us that only you can do and help me to speak what you want and nothing more and nothing less. I ask your blessing on this message. I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're picking up our study back in Romans. We've been away from it from a uh, for a bit, a couple months now, but I'm um, going to return to it for the next couple weeks, and then we'll be in the holiday season. We'll start talking about uh, things that pertain to the times, and then we'll see where the Lord leads. But this is, uh, this is a pretty interesting passage here, Romans chapter 14. It's really unique in Scripture uh, with the subject matter it deals with, and uh, there's really a lot to learn. It's one of those things you kind of read and you, you say, what? But as with all of God's Word, if you actually stop to think about it, meditate on it, and ask the Lord for leading, you'll find every part of God's Word speaks to us. It has something to teach us if we would listen, if we would have our hearts ready to hear it. And so what I want to do is kind of set up the, the passage today, and then we'll walk quickly through the text in coming messages. And uh, this is also going to be one of those times, uh, as we did with Romans chapter 13, where it's going to afford us to talk a, an opportunity to handle a few subjects we don't normally address on a Sunday morning. Things we might have differences of opinion on or differences of discernment. And so we'll, we'll spend some time with those. I think the Lord's going to bless it as we do that. This section runs through chapter 14, really into chapter 15 and verse 5. And the two kind of bookends are the first verse of chapter 14 and the first verse of chapter 15. He says in 14.1, Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. And 15 and 1 says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. That's kind of the, 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 uh, the bookends of the passage where he's going with it. He's talking about the relationship between strong Christians in the church and weak ones and how to handle that, how that dynamic works, um, how we ought to treat one another. I've seen different titles for the subject, uh, differences of opinion. 
That's kind of stated lightly, but it, it gets at what it, it's about. I've heard it titled Liberty in Non-Essentials or Christian Freedom. I've heard them all used and they all fit, but I think there's a deeper dynamic here and one that's really important to the health of a church. And so we need to, to pay attention. If you think about it, the church is really an interesting, dynamic, eclectic mix, right? you got all kinds of people from all different backgrounds, all different families, all walks of life, many times with nothing in common but one thing, and that is Christ. If it was not for this church, would we have met each other? Would we know each other's lives? Probably not. We have different things, with different interests. We have different things that we like. But yet, we're all here for one thing. We have one thing in common. That is Christ, the salvation that He has given us. And we're here to worship Him, right? It's Christ and His saving grace that binds us together. Not necessarily our hobbies or our interests or even our families. No, it's, it's all about Him. And that's exactly how it should be. That's what the church is meant to be, right? To bring together all kinds of people, all different cultures, all different walks of life with one thing in common, one goal, and that is to glorify our, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's not new, by the way. That's how it's always meant to be. Abraham is told in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3, I'm going to bless all families of the earth through you. And he's talking about all nations, all ethnicities, all different culture groups, all of them are going to be blessed through you, of course, speaking about Christ. Jesus in Luke chapter 24, as he's talking to the disciples, and he's, he's showing them himself in the Old Testament. It's one message, it's not recorded, I wish I heard, in Luke chapter 24, when he's walking on the road to Emmaus, and he, he says he opens the scriptures and expounds to them, look, this is me here, this is me here, and this is me here in the Old Testament. Man, what a rich sermon. But he, he says, look, it's, all of that is pointing at me, and it's also that repentance and remission of sins should be preached among all nations. And we looked at that word Wednesday. That word is ethnos. It means all ethnicities, all kinds of people. In the Great Commission, in Matthew chapter 28, he says, Teach all nations or make disciples of all nations, all ethnicities, all kinds of peoples. There is no boundaries to the church. You know that, right? There is no color to the church. There is no ethnic boundaries to the church. The gospel is for all of God's creation. And when people are saved by the gospel and they give their lives to Him, the church is made up of all that different mix of people, and it's a wonderful, amazing thing. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Paul, writing to the church at Colossae, uh, puts it this way. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 8. Now, you know he's talking to the church here. Sometimes we have a tendency to take every verse for ourselves. While there is personal application... We have to understand the context. Paul is writing to the church at a whole, and he's, he's talking about the, the whole here when he's saying this. But now ye, that gives me a clue. Y'all, if you want to put it into today's vernacular. Now you all have put off all these. Anger, 
chapter 3, verse 8. You all have put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not, excuse me, lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. He's talking to the church. You guys are changed now. You've put off some old ways of living, some old habits. And verse 10, have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. He's talking about the church. There's no Jew, Gentile, barbarian, Scythian. There's no black, white. There's no boundaries like that. No, Christ is all and in all. That's the purpose of the church. So you get within each local church this beautiful mix. People of all cultures, all people groups, saved by grace, united in covenant with each other in each local church with Christ as the goal. Now, all that to say, you understand the church at Rome is no different. They would have all walks of life as well. We can see in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost that The Bible tells us there are Jews and proselytes from Rome that were there and were saved and were baptized as part of that 3,000 added to the church. And very likely, when the very guy who's writing the letter comes on the scene and brings persecution, that church at Jerusalem is scattered so they go home. Rome had a very strong Jewish population. And so there would be Jewish people as part of the church. Actually, let's make our way back to Romans chapter 14. Stop at chapter 16, and you'll see a couple very famous um, Jewish people that are part of the church there. Romans 16 and verse 3 says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus. We know them, right? We see them in the book of Acts. Well, they were there. So you, you have in the church at Rome this Jewish population, people that are raised up following the law, they got saved, and now they're following Christ. So they would have this kind of moral background, right? They would know what's right and what's wrong according to God's law, according to God's Word. They would be brought up into that. They would have that in their lives, right? Well, on the other hand, you have part of the church the exact opposite. Romans. Bible uses the term Gentiles, people who were reached with the gospel and saved in the life that they were living, which was very different, the exact opposite from the life that a Jew would live. You're talking about pagan worship, idolatry, immorality, all that stuff is normal in the Roman society. And they would have been raised up in that with those things as their norm, which is exact opposite than the Jewish people that were there. All of them brought right together in the church to praise and to glorify Christ, but also to get along and be unified with one another. So we have this dynamic mix in each church. Every church, really. It's a beautiful mix of people. I've used the, uh, the example before of the, 
The windows we have here in this building, the stained glass windows, they're beautiful as a whole when you look at them, but if you start looking closely, you see there's individual panes of glass that are very different at times from one another. But yet, when put together as a whole, they make this beautiful picture. That's the church, right? Each one is different in different ways and different gifts or different strengths, different lives, but when we're brought together in the church, it makes this beautiful setting, doesn't it? That's all well and good, but with that can come some difficulties. Romans chapter 14 and verse 1 says, Him that is weak in the faith receive you. With different people and a different mix comes different stages of spiritual growth. When we're saved, we're not automatically right where we need to be, are we? Our spirit is. I'm heaven bound. Anybody who trusts in Christ as their Savior at that moment, their eternity is in heaven. But we've got some things here on this earth to take care of, right? Some things maybe we need to stop doing or start doing or there's things we need to learn about Christ. We're not automatically fully matured when we're saved. No. In fact, the Bible uses terms like babes in Christ, babies in Christ. Those who maybe need milk just like a newborn would. And then we're supposed to grow up to where we start eating meat like a, a mature person would. The Bible uses that. And within each church, you have people at different stages of growth. The word here in Romans 14.1, weak means feeble. It just means without strength. There are those who at different stages of spiritual growth, spiritual strength. He says, him that is weak in the faith. And that word faith is not belief like the faith that we put in Christ uh, for salvation or the faith that we walk after God by. It's the faith. It's a little bit different. That means a system of practice or doctrine is talking about the truth that we align our lives to here in this word. There are people who are strong in the faith of the word, and there are people who are weak. There's some people who couldn't quote John 3.16 to save their lives, even though they know Jesus is Savior. And there are some who are like a walking Bible encyclopedia. Different stages of growth, right? And the instruction here. First of all, Paul recognizes that. And the instruction here is, hey, you are to receive one another. And that word means to take somebody to yourself, to, to lead them along. And so the instruction is simple. We're to lead. We are to lead along those who are growing in the faith. Those of us, and I don't hope I, hope I don't sound presumptuous if I include myself in us, but... Those of us who might be a little stronger in the faith are to take along those who are growing in Christ and lead them along and help them and, and nurture them, right? Just as we would our own children. You ever heard that phrase, uh, don't cry over spilled milk? <laughs> I, tr I really tried not to get mad when my kids would spill a drink on the table at a restaurant. At home, it's different, right? It's whatever. But it seemed, it seemed never to happen at home. Always when we were out somewhere, poof, there it goes. And man, I would, I would sometimes get mad. What are you doing? I know you're one and a half. What are you doing? <laughs> Don't you understand? Well, that's what that 
phrase means, right? Babies are going to spill milk. They're going to make messes. And you know what? Maybe we ought to remember that with some newer Christians. Didn't we make mistakes right after we were saved? Didn't we do things we probably shouldn't have done or say things we shouldn't have done? But we grew out of it, right? Well, we have to understand there's going to be that dynamic in the church. There's going to be people at different stages of growth. People who have come out of a totally different lifestyle than maybe what we were raised in. And so there's going to be some backgrounds that they carry with them. As was the case in Rome, as we'll get to in just a minute. And that can be the case in each church. Somebody could have been raised Catholic. And they come to Christ and now they're in a totally new world. They might carry some old traditions with them that they have to grow out of. We don't light candles. I don't take confession. But I've been asked if I have in the past. It's a learning curve, right? We understand there's, a, there's some things that come with this beautiful dynamic in the church. There will be in each church different people at different stages of spiritual life or spiritual growth. Perhaps you've been just saved or maybe you've been walking with Him for many years. But may I say, and I think I need to make this clear, the will of God for each and every one of us is the same. And I want to address that. There are some people that kind of walk around life wondering what God wants them to do. What is the will of God for my life? I just can't find it. I just don't know. What is the purpose God has for me? And if you may be asking yourself that question, I can tell you it's pretty easy. It's pretty knowable. And it's quite clear in Scripture. If you would, turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2. This is a familiar verse to some, and maybe some of you... We'll be seeing this for the first time, but 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3 tells us very simply what God would have us to do with our lives. Paul starts out in verse 1 and 2 telling us to pray for those who are in authority. In verse 3 he says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. God will will have, that word is stronger than he just wants people. No, it's his will. He wa- his will is that all men be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. God wants each and every one of us, in fact, God wants each and every person you know to come to faith in Christ and salvation so that they might not perish in their sins, but they might be forgiven, they might be given eternal life and have a home in heaven for eternity. God wants that for everyone. Whether everyone accepts that or not is a different story. But that's what God wants. God wants all of us to be saved, and it says to come into the knowledge of the truth. And again, I made mention of it earlier. It's not like this automatic thing that happens when we're saved. It's a growth, and that's what the the word come unto, um, the words come unto speak to. This growth, this, this bringing along to knowledge. We're to grow in grace and knowledge of Him, as 1 Peter says. And it's not just some head knowledge. The word is a full knowledge of Him. God wants us to learn all of Him, all about Him, to get to know Him, to walk with Him, to serve Him. In fact, the Great Commission um, says we are to make disciples, to baptize them, and to teach everything God has commanded us. 
that is the will of God for your life and for my life. Turn to the book of Ephesians. Sometimes the Bible says things better than I can, so I'll just let God speak. And I want to read actually a pretty good portion of Scripture, which it's okay if I read the Bible in church, right? <laughs> you know, some people, some places would think this is insane to read more than one or two verses, but this is what we're here for. We're here to hear from God. So I want to let Him speak a little bit. I want to re read... Uh, from Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. And just, just listen to what, how Paul is instructing this church at Ephesus and, and see how he's showing what God's plan, God's will for our lives is. He wants us to be saved. He wants us to come to the knowledge of the truth. Verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 4 says, that He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You see that? That's growing into knowledge. Until we, we come unified around Christ to, to be more like Him, to know Him fully, Right? Verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slide of man and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth and love that we may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. I love that phrase. Growing up into Christ, becoming more and more like him. Isn't it Romans chapter 8 that he says he wants to conform us to the image of his son? Wants to be, he wants to make us more like Him. God loves us so much. Not only did He save us when we were sinners and forgive us of our sins, but He draws us to Himself and He wants to make us more like Him. That's amazing. That's amazing. And that is what God wants for you. You see, there are some things that are so much more important than money or your job or your house or those things that we usually consign to the will of God. Because that's kind of what we talk about. What does God want for my life? means how much money is He going to give me? Or where does He want me to live? No, no, no. Look past that. He wants us to grow up into Him to be more like Him till the day that we see Him face to face. And He gives us the tools to do that for the perfecting of the saints, the building up of the body of Christ. Not that we're tossed around, but that we're growing to Him. Verse 15. Uh, verse 16, from whom the whole body fitly joined together, that's the church, perfectly joined together, and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working of the measure of every part, maketh the increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. There's a lot of vanity out there, isn't there? There's a lot of people following futile, silly, useless things. And way too many churches, let me just say this, way too many churches are falling in step. God has given us His Word and we ought to stand for it and we ought to preach and teach it. Period. Not walking as the world walks. We're not here to gain the world's favor. We're not here to gain the world's popularity. We're here to preach the gospel to the world. 
so that they might be saved from their sins, that they might come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, and they might give their lives to serving Him, and therefore tell others about Him. That's what the church is here for. Not to play footsie with the world, or I heard it put uh, pretty good that too many churches are lifting the hem of their skirt to draw the world. We don't do that. We preach the Word. And Paul says, don't walk like the world walks in the vanity of their mind, having their understanding, verse 18, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, through the, because of the blindness of their heart. That same blindness, by the way, that the light of the gospel broke in and shown us the beauty of Christ. As God opened our eyes through the preaching of the world, the, the preaching of the word, the world walks in that darkness. And we are not to walk that way anymore. There is growth that should happen. Verse 19, Who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Verse 20, But ye have not so learned Christ. You know better. Right? If so be that ye have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation or lifestyle the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. And it just keeps going through chapter 5 and on. Do you, do you see the, the will of God, the plan of God for our lives? That we should be saved, we ought to commit our lives to Him through baptism into the local church, and then we grow. We are growing, putting to death some of the old things, the worldly things in our life, and becoming more and more like Christ. That's His will for all. The question is, are we following it? Are you following God's will for your life this morning, or are you kind of just skating on doing your own thing? God wants us to be saved, God wants us to follow Him, to keep growing closer and closer to Him. Are we following it? And that will is for all. No matter what kind of life you've lived in the past, that is God's will. Now, when you get the church with the beautiful mix of people, all from different lives, all at different stages of growth, there can be some potential problems. And Paul uses a term back in Romans, if you want to turn back there one more time, Romans chapter 14. So, <laughs> I think I've used 
the, uh, the phrase when describing a family. It's just two sinners trying to raise little sinners. Right? <laughs> pretty, pretty much it. <laughs> Even if you're saved by grace, we're still two sinners saved by grace trying to raise up little sinners and teach them not to sin so much. That's just what it is if you want to look at it that way. Well, a church is a bunch of redeemed sinners bumping shoulders with each other. And there can arise some problems, especially if you're all at different stages in your growth. And you, we just have to be aware of it. Of course, Christ is the goal, and we want the Holy Spirit to move in and through us, right, and to have control, but there still can be some potential problems. And Paul uses a term here in Romans 14 when the King James translates it, doubtful disputations. Him that is weak, receive him that is weak in the faith, receive you, but not to doubtful disputations. And different translations uh, translate it differently. Um, the, terms, the two terms really are dialogues and discernment. Dialogues on discernment or differences on matters of discernment. Differences on matters of opinion. We're going to have different views on different things. Things that are not necessarily essential doctrine. And the instruction here is to receive those who are growing in the faith, but not to argue on matters of discernment. And here's what's going on. You had the Jewish people in the church at Rome and the Roman or pagan converts. They had extreme backgrounds. And so that was going to clash. They had... Come to Christ, they had been freed from idolatry, they had been freed from the law, they had been freed from all that, and now He was the goal, and they're together in this church, but they still carried some of that with them. Maybe some of the ritualism of the mindset, or some of that kind of pagan worship, uh, idolatry, or whatever it is, those patterns of thinking, or past habits. And so, you have this mix to where some people say, hey, you can't do that. And other people say, "What? Well, it's not a problem. What are you talking about? As Paul's going to outline for the rest of the chapter, and we'll get into that. But you have these different backgrounds and different, different opinions or different matters of discernment that's there. And whether we realize it or not, we all do to some extent. Let's just take this, for example. I'm one of those guys who's Baptist-born and Baptist-bred. This has been my whole life. Now, doesn't mean I was saved when I was born. No, I was saved when I was eight. When I cried out to Jesus to save me from my sins and I trusted in Him for my salvation. But I've spent my whole life being instructed in biblical things, in church life, which is a blessing you guys can give your kids now. You know that, right? It's a huge blessing that we are giving our kids by bringing them here and allowing them to be raised here. But I carry some of that with me, some of those patterns in thinking. I've been instructed in the things like salvation and baptism in the church, essential doctrines. But I've also been raised in matters of discernment. Uh, things like, uh, the, the, I dress up for church because I show, it's a matter of me showing respect. Or I don't run around in the sanctuary because this is a holy place. Or, I'm nice at potlucks. If you take it, you eat it. And you don't say anything about it. <laughs> things like that, right? Matters of discernment. Things that aren't 
essential doctrines. Now, you may not think that's a big deal, but those things can pop up and cause issues. Let's say, let's say somebody gets saved and baptized and joins a church, and then they show up in church in shorts and flip-flops. What do I do? What do I, as pastor, do? Do I, because I don't like it, make a big scene and say, hey, you can't come in the building until you change your clothes? Which, by the way, some pastors do. Some churches have closets full of changes of clothes, which I think is rather silly. But do I make a stink about that? Because those are some of my backgrounds that I carry with me. I could, and I could probably find some scripture to justify it. I don't know, twist it some way. And I could say, hey, this is, this is just what we do, and make a big stink and cause a conflict. Or could I just simply maybe later take that person aside and explain my feelings on it and maybe explain some, some things from scripture and have some grace over a matter of discernment? I think that would be far better, right? Well, that's a silly example, but you get the picture of all these chances for conflict that could arise as it was here in Rome and as it can even today. It's just something we need to be aware of. And that's why Paul instructs against that here. Receive the weaker ones in faith, but not over arguments over matters of discernment. Now, I I do want to be clear. There There are some essentials. There are some non-negotiables, some foundations that we stand immovable on. There is no negotiating over some of these things. Doctrines like the doctrine of the Word. That it is God-breathed. All Scripture is given by God and is profitable for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. We believe the Scripture is perfect, it's infallible, it's inerrant. Every word of the Lord is pure. We believe it's complete. And somebody can come in here and try to start arguing me why we ought to have the Book of Mormon or why we ought to have some new book coming out. And I will flat out say, no, this is the Word. This is what I hold in my hand, and there is no moving on that. I will not argue with it. God has spoken fully and finally. Doctrines of God. That He is the great I Am. He has never been created. He has never come into existence. He is, period. The self-existent one. The doctrines of the Trinity. The doctrine of creation. You can't walk in here and say you don't believe Genesis 1-1 and want to worship with us. There's a problem. I believe God created everything. I believe in His holiness. We believe in the doctrines of Christ. In His deity. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's what John says. In John chapter 8, Jesus Himself says, Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is God. Period. There is no negotiating those things. We believe in His deity. We believe in His virgin birth, which surprisingly over the past decade has been attacked like nothing else in quite a while. We believe Jesus was born of a virgin like no one else has been or no one else ever will be. That's a non-negotiable. Something simple like that. We believe in His atoning death. I believe He died on the cross. I don't believe He passed out or He swooned. I believe 
God the Son gave His blood and gave His life on that cross. I believe He was buried in that tomb for three days. And I believe on the third day, He came walking out very much alive to sit on the right hand of the Father in heaven. Those are non-negotiables. I believe He is returning. Now we can maybe talk about timing, but I believe a non-negotiable is that Christ is returning for His people to rule as King on this earth for a thousand years. Salvation by grace. Listen, I'm not a Reformation guy, but they did say some pretty cool things like grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. I like those phrases. Non-negotiable. It's not by works, not by our perfection. And I believe those who place their faith in Christ are eternally secure. I believe that baptism is by immersion, just like John did with Jesus, just like the early church did. It's baptism by immersion by the authority of and into the local New Testament church that is a visible body that holds to the faith and practice of the New Testament uh, apostles and the New Testament churches observing the Lord's Supper, planting other churches. I may have missed some things, but you understand those are non-negotiables. We don't argue. We follow God's law. We follow God's word. And if you think I'm too harsh, I'll let John speak. John, man, the Apostle John, when he writes, he's an old guy. So if you know older people, they drop filters as they get older. They don't care if they hurt people's feelings. They don't care what it sounds like. They just speak. And some of John's letters are really like that. First, second, and third John, if you read it, it's awesome. Listen to what he says. Second John, verse 6. This is love that we walk after His commandments. This is the commandment that as ye have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. What does he say about that? That's a deceiver and an antichrist. Maybe we ought to be just as bold as the Apostle John was. Somebody says, hey, Jesus didn't come in the flesh or He's not God come in the flesh. Nope, that's wrong. John says that's a deceiver and an antichrist. In fact, he says this, Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ has not God, does not have God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there are any come unto you, and do not bring this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed, for he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. John's pretty... Straightforward. No, we don't mess around with some of these things. There are some things that are non-negotiable, that are essential. But there are other issues, we would say, that are not essential doctrines. Things like service times, or worship style, or whether we have pews, or chairs, or hymn books, or projectors. Even, to an extent, the way we dress. You get the point. There are some things that are non-essentials, but quite often the conflict arises in those non-essential things rather than the essential doctrines. And that's just what Satan wants. There's a few things that can kill a church. Inactivity, not doing anything, not growing. Sin that's not dealt with can become like a cancer in the church. But perhaps what does so the most is discord. Discord can kill a church, right? 
if Satan can get in and start driving little wedges here and there and pushing apart, severing relationships and fracturing the body into little segments, he would love nothing more. That's what he wants. And 99% of the time, that starts happening over something silly. I bring it up for a reason, but I've seen people fight for years over a potluck dish. Somebody didn't like that, and they were mean. Something silly Satan can use to drive a wedge. And 99% of the problems in the church start with something that's not an essential doctrine. It's a matter of discernment. And then personality conflicts start happening. This was starting to happen in the church at Rome, and Paul tries to put a stop to it. And we ourselves need to always be mindful of the ways that Satan would try to work. I haven't seen churches split over arguments on the deity of Jesus Christ, but I have seen them split on non-essential issues and personality conflicts over those. And Paul actually spends a lot of time in Romans addressing that. We don't have time or we're done. But if you notice in chapter 1, 2, and 3 how he kind of addresses some things, like in chapter 1 is that awesome passage on the wrath of God revealed against unrighteousness and people that worship things other than Him, and God gives them over to immorality and the homosexuality and to a debased mind. And He's describing sin and the world as a whole. Well, the Jewish person could step back and say, yep, that's not me. I've never done that. Look at you. Look how dirty, mean, and nasty you guys used to be. And you could get, they could get very arrogant and look down, which is why chapter 2, boom, He hits them right between the eyes and says, hey, hold on, you judgy people. Who are you to judge? You do the same thing. In fact, sometimes the Gentiles keep the law better than you because they keep it in their heart. And you're just doing it as an outward show. You ever notice that dynamic? He's, he's hitting both sides. Like, hey, you don't got any room to be arrogant. Neither do you. We're all here for the same reason. Chapter 3, what? Are we better than they? Am I better because I have a church background than someone who comes out of a life of drug use or alcohol abuse or partying or Catholicism or Islam, whatever. Am I better? No, in no way is what Paul says. No way. Why? There's none righteous. No, not one. No one seeks after God. Romans 3, just that that long list of of things that, that calls us all out. Every mouth is stopped. The whole world becomes guilty before God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So Paul addresses it there, and we need to realize the same thing here. Nobody's perfect here but Jesus. None of us have the perfect view on things, but the Word of God which God has given to us. And every matter, whether it's a matter of essential doctrine or a matter of non-essential, we ought to run through the filter of Scripture What does God say here? Does He address it specifically? Or does He give us principles to handle with it? That's where our opinions, our matters of discernment ought to lie fully and finally. Not with my background or my mind, but with the Word. Because we're all here with our own past experiences, our own past lives, trying to be more like Jesus, trying to know more of His truth. We don't have time for fighting over silly things. Not that we are, but we don't want to get there, right? 
Let me read you from Ephesians 4, uh, the last passage, and we'll be done. Ephesians chapter 4 says this, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. You see that the attitude Paul is, 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 is putting in those verses? It's a meek, humble attitude that we are to live this life God has called us to. Forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Because there's one body, one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. So the church has no business being fractured into segments. We are one here in Christ. Unified in Him. And we ought to work to keep that bond, which we might have to do it sometimes. You know what? Sometimes I might have to just be quiet. You might have to as well. We're all dealing with this flesh, and there might be opinions I hold to that you don't. There might be some things I find offensive that you don't, or vice versa. What do we do? Do we dispute over them? Or do we seek to stay unified in the grace of God, running everything through the filter of Scripture. Now, my opinion could be wrong, and I might need to be corrected, and vice versa. But we can do that. We can have those conversations in a loving manner, can't we? As we lead each other along, not to doubtful disputations, but to grace. Grace that saved us. Grace that keeps us. You know, I'm really glad God doesn't act like me sometimes. I told you once, moron, and I need to tell you again. He doesn't do that to me. No. He says, come on. Let's look. Let me show you. Why would we treat other people that way when God has so much grace on us? So we might have to deal with the weaknesses in each other. We might have to deal with differences. And not with arguments, but with grace, which displays, again, the beauty of the mix of the church. That we can all be unified in Christ, even with our different backgrounds, even with our different opinions or matters of discernment. Having that sweet spirit with each other, even when we don't agree on matters of discernment. And that's what this section is all about. There's a phrase I've heard for a long time. I don't right know who it's attributed to, but I think it's pretty good. Maybe you've heard it. It's, it goes like this. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. I think it's pretty good. I think that's pretty good. And that's what we're called to do, right? Of course, Christ is the goal. We're all trying to be more like Him, but we've got to help each other get there. And that's what this section is about. Paul's going to go into detail on some specifics, and we'll see, and we'll take some opportunities to talk about things maybe we can have differences over. But the point is to have grace and to have love. The strong with the weak can be a beautiful thing. Rather than the strong pushing down the weak, it's to be the strong lifting up the weak 
making them stronger so that they can lift up a weaker person. We're to grow up into Him, helping each other do that. I want to strive to keep that bond of peace here. We're all because of Him, here because of Him, right? We're all here for Him. We're all here to proclaim Him. We don't want to let anything else get in the way. So let's be a people of grace, even in our differences. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank You for this Word You've given us, and I pray that You would help me to have a mindset of grace, matters of discernment, and that You would continue to keep a sweet bond of peace here at this body. Use these words how you see fit, Lord, even if there's one who does not know you as Savior, that they would follow your will for their life and they would cry out to him in faith. and They would be saved and they would come be baptized and be part of this church, Lord. You lead and you do the work that only you can do. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.